Son and Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sin unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death, 
of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this short confession, I by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. your hands all peoples shout to God with loud songs of joy for the Lord the most high is to be feared a king over all the earth to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the For the Lord, the Most High, is a great King over all the earth. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high. We praise thee, we bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee, we give thanks to thee for thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For thou art holy, thou art beyond the Lord. 
never-failing providence orders all things both in heaven and earth we humbly implore you to put away from us all hurtful things and to give us those things that are profitable for us through Jesus Christ your son our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit one God now and forever Old Testament lesson for this, the seventh Sunday after the Trinity, is written in the second chapter of the first book of Moses, commonly called the Genesis, beginning at the seventh verse. And then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant for sight and good for food. <clears throat> and the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and it became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land, the Havilah, where the gold is good. And the bdellium and the onyx stone are there. And the second is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Kush. The name of the third is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You will surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Amen. Come, O sons, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. The epistle lesson is written in the sixth chapter of St. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, beginning at the 19th verse. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to the lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to the righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have become set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Hallelujah. gospel is written in the eighth chapter of St. Mark, beginning at the first verse. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said unto them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have, they have been with me now three days, and I've had nothing to eat. But if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. His disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. And they set them before the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he set them away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and descended into heaven. 
and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> and he shall come again with glory, both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together glorified, who spake by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead of the world to come. Amen.
and sing and gladness though great distress my soul befell Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So those who are veterans of the search and rescue profession say that when people die in the wilderness, they die of confusion. There is always a destructive synergy among numerous factors, including exhaustion, dehydration, hypothermia, anxiety, hunger, and injury. Being lost, then, is not a location so much as a transformation. It is a failure of the mind. It can happen in the woods. It can happen in life, in your home. In fact, research suggests that there are five general stages in the process of a person that they go through when they get lost whether at home or in the woods or in the mountains or wherever. The first is that you deny that you're disoriented and you press on with growing urgency. The second is as you realize that you are genuinely lost, the urgency blossoms into full-scale survival panic and clear thought becomes impossible and actions become frantic, unproductive, and even dangerous. The third stage usually following exhaustion or injury, you expend the chemicals of emotion and form a strategy that is misguided. The fourth is that you deteriorate both rationally and emotionally as your strategies fail to resolve your conflict. And fifth and final stage is as you run out of options and run out of energy, you must become resigned to your plight. Like it or not, you must make a new mental map of where you are. You either will become Robinson Crusoe, figure out how to survive, or you will die. And that's just the way it is. And every SAR, every search and rescue veteran knows this, that when they find them alive, it's usually because they've been able to adapt. And those who don't adapt, they find dead, if they find them at all. So where are we? Where are you? Are you adapting? See, that's the question probably going through the minds of the 4,000 out in the wilderness who have been without food now for three days. Clearly, it is the situation because Jesus says to the disciples, I have compassion upon the multitude because they have nothing to eat. If I send them to their homes, they will faint on the way for some have come from afar. In other words, Jesus is concerned correctly that the multitude are facing exhaustion and food stress that will lead to anxiety, injury, and maybe even death. Part of the five stages leading to wilderness death. This situation is very almost identical 
to, to, to Yisrael's situation in the Exodus. You know, we read how in, in Exodus 16, how the whole congregation of the sons of Yisrael, they're in the wilderness. They've left Egypt, right? They're in the wilderness. They get into the wilderness. And they realize several days into the wilderness journey that they're, they've, they've eaten all the food. They've drank all the water. They're in trouble because they're too far into the desert to turn around and they're too far from the next water to go forward, right? It's like if you drive across the southern United States, you'll get to places like Death Valley and literally you'll see road signs that say, you better have enough gas and you better have water because if you break down, you're in trouble. And they know they're in trouble. And so the whole congregation of the sons of Yisrael, they complain against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Yisrael said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full. But you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. But then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain down from heaven for you and the people will go out and gather a certain quota every day, bread from heaven that I might test them to see whether they will walk in my teachings or not. What about us? Are we walking in God's teachings? Are we passing the test? And this leads us, you know, this connects us to the Exodus as well, because um, Jesus, his, his compassion upon the multitude is predicated upon the fact that they've been three days without food. The Exodus is also related to three days because in the book of Exodus, you see again and again and again, like in chapter three of Exodus 3.18 and 5.3, etc., you see again and again where the, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You see this again and again and again. Right, that, God, that Moses is saying to Pharaoh or telling the, the Hebrews that they're to go on a three-day journey into the wilderness. Right, three days. And the crowd, the, you know, the 4,000 in today's gospel lesson was with Christ three days. Three days, again. And the three days is very significant. In biblical consciousness, three days constitutes a significant segment of time particularly in connection with travel. And we see this again and again. In fact, there, there are numerous biblical verses, Bible verses in the Old Testament relating to three days, especially for journeying. Now, why in Exodus is there a three-day journey into the wilderness to sacrifice? We really don't know. We think it probably has to do something with Egyptian religious, uh, like their religious uh, dominion or, or you know, like the, the range of where their, their religion held sway. Um, we don't know for sure. Uh, but it is interesting, isn't it? Because this three days predates the Egyptians. Because we read in uh, Genesis 22, where Abraham was told by God in Genesis 22 to take his son Isaac, whom he loves, and had to, had to wait his whole life for, take that boy on a three-day journey into the wilderness to a mountain that I will show you, Abraham. And God told Abraham, then you're going to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. And Abraham, he did it. He took him there. He was going to sacrifice him until God intervened, right? And it was in the wilderness, right? Three-day journey. And the crowd is in the wilderness, three days, right? 
So what's that all about? I mean, what, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, how, how is it there three days? Why is there the wilderness? What does this all mean? You know, it's very interesting, I think. And I think the three days and then the wilderness, right, which are, which are two of the important details in today's gospel lesson, and we see these repeated again and again and again throughout both the Old and the New Testaments, I think this has to, to do something with symbolizing our own helplessness in the world. Because the, real, the reality is we think we're self-sufficient, but the reality is we are not. That we are really helpless. That we really need God to give us this day our daily bread, which is everything sufficient for the sustaining of this life today only. I mean, just like with the manna from heaven, God said, I'll, I'm going to give them every day bread from heaven. The, day, the bread they need for that day. Right? He doesn't say I'm going to give them bread for like six months from now or bread for their retirement. He just says bread right then. Right then. And I think what God is trying to teach us through this, he's trying to teach us to grasp in truth what we only understand, I think, in theory, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus, the wilderness, in the wilderness, the 4,000 are, are, are isolated. They're sequestered from the world out in the wilderness, right? They're, they're, they're taken away from their normal everyday support systems, right? So that they can learn the truth of God. That it is, that God is the one that satisfies his people with bread in the wilderness, right? And how does he do this? He does it through his intervention, Right? Right? Because we, we can't satisfy the people with bread in the wilderness. We have no ability to do this. Right? right? He's trying to get us to see how precarious our situation really is. Right? Because even when we genuinely try to keep God's law, when we genuinely try to keep his, his teachings, I mean, honestly, you know, get up in the morning and go, I'm going to really do this. I'm going to make it happen today. What do we do? We fail. We absolutely fail. I know I do. Every day I fail. And that leads us, as Martin Luther finally concluded in his own, and he articulates in his own small catechism, when, when Luther wrote, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, nor come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel and enlightened me by, with his gifts and sanctified and kept me in the one true faith in the same way that he calls and gathers and enlightens and sanctifies the whole Christian, Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And in this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. Right? That's what God's law does. It, it forces us to that same realization that Martin Luther came to. Yes, Christ's rich forgiveness is seen fourthly in contrast with the seven loaves and the fishes. Now, I know in this, this, this gospel lesson, we're not told how many fish. Um, we're just told there are fish. But we are told specifically there are seven loaves. In other, in other um, instances of the miraculous feeding, like of the 5,000, we're told five fish. But here we're told seven loaves, or seven loaves, five loaves. Here we're told seven loaves. And that's very interesting. Why seven? Well, it, it might be because there, there are, as I explained in Bible class, <clears throat> there are different commandments given by different prophets. So there, there are Adamic commandments like be fruitful, multiply, which are given to all creation, you know, to have, pro, you know, have, have children or have 
fruit. Um, you know, it's a, it's a commandment given both to plants and animals and humans, and it's given to everything. But there's also, uh, and then there's the, the Moses' commandments, the Ten Commandments given on Mount Sinai to God, by God to Moses, right? Everybody knows those. But there also were commandments, the seven commandments given from Noah, the Noahic commandments, which are, which are commandments that are the basis for what we call natural law, the commandments given to all humanity, not just Hebrew, but everyone, specifically every, all, all people, all humans. And these commandments, as, as outlined in the ninth chapter of Genesis, tell humanity that we are to administer justice, we are to prohibit idolatry, we are not to blaspheme God, we are not to be immoral, we are not to murder, we are not to steal, and we are not to eat a part of a living animal. Right? And these, are the, these form the basis of what we call in Blackstones, uh, we call uh, natural law, right? As compared with the five books of the Torah and the prophets, which are where we find the Mosaic law. And so highlighting these seven loaves that Jesus uses to feed the 4,000, I believe that what Jesus is doing here, he's showing us that he fulfills not just Adam's laws and not humanity. He's the filler, fulfiller of all of them because these seven loaves are insufficient to feed the 4,000 unless Jesus causes them to fulfill, be fulfilled, right? Because the problem we face when we try to use the law to justify ourselves is we fail because we're told in scripture that by works of the law will no flesh be justified. And so Jesus, by multiplying the loaves so that it feeds the 4,000 and there's you know, seven baskets full of, of fragments left over, he's showing us that he fulfills what we cannot do to a massive excess. when he feeds the 4,000 with a mere seven loaves and then a few small fish. And who are, what do these fish represent? I believe these fish represent the scriptures, right? Because how do we receive faith? Well, faith comes through hearing and hearing comes through the word of God, right? Romans, right, 3.23, so, you know, or Romans 10.17. So if faith comes through hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, the word of God is very important. And I believe this is what is represented by the fish. And, I, and it's not just two fish, because I think it's what Christ is doing here is he's including what, what will come after the New Testament as well. Because God's word makes it very clear in the prophet Habakkuk that the just shall live by faith. So what, what Jesus was doing before he fed the multitude with bread and fish is he was feeding them with the words of eternal life, the bread of immortality, the bread of heaven, the bread of his word. For as the prophet Amos warns, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they will wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. They shall not find it. Why? Because the word of the Lord is found only where Jesus Christ, God the word, is found. The word made flesh is found. And where is Jesus Christ, God the word made, where is he found? He is found where he promises to be found. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. There, Jesus says, I am in the midst of them. 
In other words, Jesus' presence, which is normally invisible, becomes discernible where God's people gather around God's gifts, the gifts of his word and the gifts of his sacraments as they are rightly celebrated there. We, too, receive certainty that we are part of the multitude that Jesus feeds with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive these gifts to the first thine altar and the preacher in thy holy word. In your name, O Lord, we pray. Amen. Welcome, everybody, this morning. It's good to see you all. Please note the blue news for what uh, is coming up. Uh, one of the things that needs to happen this week, and I believe on Tuesday morning, 
some of the, the men are getting together to help kind of move uh, some things around with swaddling clothes. And I think at 8 o'clock on Tuesday, I think it's what we kind of decided was going to be the best time to do that. So uh, anyone with a strong back and uh, strong arms that wants to help move um, swallowing clothes into some new spaces to accommodate the uh, school, which is opening up uh, on the 8th, 7th and 8th of August. This Tuesday, we're going to meet here at 8 to do that. So uh, if you can be part of that and want to be part of that, uh, you know, many hands make the lifting easy. So that would be great. And just note the other things going on there uh, in, the, in the schedule. Uh, also, um, we have some prayer requests today. Uh, John asked that we pray for a friend of his uh, uh, and uh, who uh, is having some physical issues uh, this week. So we'll pray this week for uh, John, your friend, and, uh, and his issues. And then Gray Hankins, uh, Pat's uh, wife, is back at USA Medical Center. So please uh, keep her in, our, in your prayers. And then Erin asked that we pray for, um, for her friend Tara, who is um, having some healing and some chemotherapy still. So we're going to pray for, for Tara or Tara today as well, Erin's uh, friend Tara. Lord be with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord for the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of Christendom. Let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for those in faith, piety, and the fear of God, overhear their worship and praise. Let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation, all our people, for our president and Congress, our governor and legislature, our judges and magistrates, and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound and the infirm. Especially we pray this day for Doris and Alice, for Joyce and Mary, Mark and Eddie, for Norma and Kim, Suzette and Wanda, Melissa and Bonnie, for Gray and Bob, for Martha and Meredith and James and George, Larry Dean and Earl, Suzette and Bob, Mallory and Mark, Hank and Jay, Tracy and Michelle, Carl and Karen, for Jimmy and Tina, Ainsley and Kevin, for Ron and Jesse, Ralph and Theo, for Easton and Waylon and Ryan, we pray for the families of our parish who mourn, especially for the Parsons family, the Bolton and Heil families, the Blackwell and Cooper family, and the Blunt and Davis family. We pray, Heavenly Father, also for those in service to our country's armed forces, especially for Riley, Paul, Hayden, and, and Paul. And we pray also for all of our university students, including Minnie, Aiden, and Jacob. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope in the communion of Christ, holy church. Let us pray to the Lord. For calling those who've gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest, which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. 
We pray especially this day for, for John's friend and for Gray and also for Tara. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, the eternal salvation of them that believe. Hear our prayers on behalf of, of uh, John's friend and Gray and, and, and Tara and all others, Heavenly Father, who need your, um, need your intervention because of sicknesses or illness or infirmity. We implore thy aid and mercy for all of them that they might be restored to their former health so that they may render thanks to thee in thy church. We ask this to the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy Son, O Lord, who lives and reigns with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 